It's after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Na 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 na
רוצה להקדיש את השיר.
J.M. in the A.M. Oh, boy, a special tefillah, incredible mishaberach for Tzahal, for the IDF, from Yaakov Shweki's uh, Live in Nokia, incredible performance. And uh, I just spoke to someone in Jerusalem who uh, was discussing with me the gas mask distribution and the... Uh, the tension, not to, not to the degree I, I think that we from the outside think there might be, but certainly some tension that everyone's feeling in the Holy Land as things continue to develop in the Middle East. So we toss in a prayer, not just for the uh, soldiers, but for all the uh, citizens, residents, our brothers and sisters in the state of Israel. That's from the uh, Live in Nokia CD. Before that, Yaakov Shweki's Aleinu. You heard Sur and Rachem off of Regish 3. A, um, an album dedicated to Shabbos, Shalom Aleichem, off of Raza the Shabbos, and the Regish, of course, Modaani opening things up as we say good morning. It's Friday on this August 30th of 2013, day 24 in the month of Elul, the year 5773, Tavshin Ayin Gimel. It's Erev Shabbos, Parshas Nitzavim and Vayelech. He got both of them, Nitzavim and Vayelech. Uh, double parsha tomorrow. Candle lighting time at 7.14 on this Erev Shabbos. 7.14. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 70 degrees, 84% humidity. Winds of southwest at 7 miles an hour. Partly cloudy with a high temperature of 84. Then tonight, partly cloudy, low of 71. Tomorrow, isolated thunderstorms for Shabbos. High temperature, 85 degrees. Yerushalayim at 90.1. Jeru- uh, Tel Aviv and Haifa at 88. A lot at 104. Wow. <laughs> we're, can you imagine going into Russia Shana with 104 weather? Uh, right now we're at uh, 70 in Jersey City as we say good morning at JM and the AM. A big day today. We get to check out what's happening in this uh, tense world of ours. Malcolm Honline will join us at 740 in the morning. We'll get his opinions and an overview uh, regarding uh, what's happening in this world. The weekly update coming at you 740 Eastern Time this morning right here. At JM and the Amber. By Uden, of course, will join us. We'll wrap things up at 9 o'clock. Naomi Nachman has another fresh, brand new show, Table for Two, coming up between 9 and 10 Eastern Time on the stream, jmandam.org. Avrami has prepared an amazing pre-Slichos Saturday Night Seagull for tomorrow at 10 p.m. on the stream. Matis is set for a fresh edition of uh, JM Sunday, the final one of the year, coming up at 7 o'clock Sunday morning. We have a live music alert Monday on Labor Day. Eitan Katz is expected in this studio. Live music alert Monday on Monday. Eitan Katz expected in this studio. There is so much going on. It is wonderful. Thanks for being part of it right here at JM in the AM. Avram Freed is next. Plenty more coming up. Keep it at 91.1 FM. 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Special shout out to our friends up at Ashar. Good morning, everybody. And around the world on the web, JM in the AM dot ORG.
מכבדים את הקדוש ברוך הוא, מהווה A little bit more Yaakov Shweki with Metalish live in Nokia. Amazing double CD. Friday morning, it's the final Friday of August 2013, day 24, and the final Friday of the year. 24th of Elul, 5773. Next Friday will be the brand new year already. Wow. Double Parsha this week, Nitzavim and Vayelech, with candlelighting time at 714 on this Erev Shabbos. Someone pointed out to me that today is the art site of the Chavetz Chaim. The 24th of Elul. 70 degrees, partly cloudy, high temperature of 84. Partly cloudy tonight, low 71. Isolated thunderstorms for tomorrow with a high temperature of 85 degrees. In the background is Galei Tzal. Our news from Israel is coming up next. This is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FN dial, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. 70 degrees, partly cloudy, a high temperature of 84. Looks like maybe a little bit of rain tomorrow on Shabbos with a high of 85. Right now, Yerushalayim is at 90.1. We're at 70 here in Jersey City. It's Galei Tal in the background. <laughs> Naomi Nachman, 9 o'clock this morning, right after our show with Table for Two. Great brand new edition. Shifra Klein, uh, editor of uh, Joy of Kosher, is going to be with her. Uh, she has an amazing author of a uh, brand new cookbook. Uh, with a Persian cooking theme. Um, as we approach Rosh Hashanah, she'll speak with uh, uh, the author of the book as well. Naomi Nachman comes up between 9 and 10 with Table for Two Eastern Time on our stream at jmandtheam.org. Great Erev Shabbos mix. There is no better way to prepare for the final Shabbos of the year than with the Erev Shabbos music mix that we've got going in the background of your house, your office, your car, wherever it is that you listen. Keep it on the stream all day long. If you're already vacationing, if you're enjoying an Erev Shabbos somewhere for Labor Day weekend and not really having to work much to prepare for Shabbos, just relax and listen. Simple as that. Best way to do it. You'd like to podcast our shows, like Ellie Hagler's great show yesterday, Miriam L. Wallach's great show yesterday, Michael Fragan's great show yesterday. A lot of great brand new material yesterday on our network. Want to podcast any of those? Hey, no problem. Go to uh, NahumSiegel.com. Go to the archives page and all the information at the uh, bottom of the page regarding archive uh, regarding podcasting and having shows delivered straight to your mailbox. We had an amazing amount of great material yesterday on the stream. Take advantage. Tomorrow night, Avrami hosts a pre-Slichos Saturday Night Seagull. Talk about preparing for Slichos. No better way. It starts at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on the stream. Sunday morning, Matis has the final JM Sunday of the year starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on the stream at jmtheam.org. Make sure to be tuned in for that on Sunday morning. Monday is a live music alert Monday. Eitan Katz has made a commitment to us to visit us on Labor Day. A live music alert Monday is coming up right here at the JMTheam studios on Labor Day. Make sure to be tuned in. Galeitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday follows next.
And then plenty more coming up, including our weekly update with uh, Malcolm Honeline at 7.40 this morning. We say Boca Toe from JM and the A. גליצה על השעה שתיים, כאן כרמית ראובן, עם מה שקורה עכשיו. גרמניה מצטרפת לבריטניה ושוללת הצטרפות לתקיפה אמריקנית בסוריה. כתבנו רון כלף. אנו מתעקשים שמועצת הביטחון של האו"ם תנסח עמדה משותפת בעניין המשבר בסוריה ומחכים להשלמת עבודת הפקחים בהקדם האפשרי. כך אמר שר החוץ של גרמניה וסטרוולה והדגיש, לא התבקשנו להשתתף בתקיפה. במקביל נשיא רוסיה פוטין ברח את החלטת הפרלמנט הבריטי שלא לתקוף בסוריה והוסיף, ההחלטה מוכיחה שאנשים מתחילים להבין את הסכנה הטמונה בפעולה צבאית. ובמקביל צרפת דווקא חוזרת למגרש, הנשיא הולנד מצהיר כי מדינתו יכולה לקחת חלק בהתערבות צבאית ללא בריטניה וקורא לנקיטת צעדים חריפים להענשת משטרו של אסד. בוושינגטון עדיין לא התקבלה החלטה רשמית האם ומתי לתקוף. לא משנה מה יחליט, מטרתו של הנשיא, של הנשיא אובמה היא שיהיה שיתוף פעולה בינלאומי, אומר שר ההגנה האמריקני, צ'אק הייגל. ממשלת אוגנדה מכחישה שתקלוט אריתראים וסודנים שיגורשו מישראל. תמר ירושלמי מדווחת. דבר משרד החוץ במדינה אמר כי הם אינם מודעים להסכם עליו הצהיר שר הפנים גדעון סער השבוע וכי אין סיכוי שאוגנדה תחתום על הסכם כזה. זאת לאחר ששלשום הודיע סער כי היועץ המשפטי לממשלה אישר את המתווה להרחקת מבקשי המקלט וכי כבר אחרי החגים יחל הליך הגירוש של האריתראים והסודנים למדינה האפריקאית. שריפת קוצים גדולה משתוללת סמוך לכפר שמאי בגליל העליון. שבעה צוותי כיבוי פועלים במקום בסיוע מטוסים. כתבתנו אורנית פורן מוסרת כי כביש 866 ממירון לכפר שמאי חסום לתנועה בשני הכיוונים. מזג האוויר לסיום, מחר צפויה הקלה בעומס החום. אלה החדשות שעורכת ענבל אלבז.
Slichos selection from the great Cantor Bencion Miller. 17 minutes after 7 o'clock, Friday morning. Candle lighting at 7.14 on this Erev Shabbos. Parshas Nitzavim and Vayelech. We'll take a minute to speak with our friend Aaron Bronstein, who's running for the 6th New York City Council District seat on September the 10th in the Democratic primary. And as usual, we'll have a full schedule this Shabbos as he tours the neighborhood of the Upper West Side. Let's find out where he'll be uh, speaking, meeting, and greeting this coming Shabbos. Aaron Bronstein, welcome back to JM in the AM. Shalom, America. Good morning, New York City. Boy, sounds like you're a little tuckered out from this campaign this yeah. morning. Well, I had three debates yesterday with the other seven. Holy cow. Also, I got carried away in JASA. Uh, JASA, as you know, is for senior citizens. Right. And we rent them a floor in my shul. The WSIS at one two zero West seventy six. Where they don't have where they where they don't have where they don't have one slichus tomorrow night. They have two slichus tomorrow. Oh yeah, we got Kalbach, a brother and sisters from Kalbach. But the Jasa thing is quite interesting. I found out a couple of things. All us baby boomers who are all stockers and the women are beautiful and the men are strong, we're technically senior citizens. I found out yesterday. I didn't know that. What age is a senior citizen? 65, right? No, that's what I thought. 58, 62. Really? There's all kinds of things. Technically, all of us 100 million baby boomers are senior citizens. Phyllis Roth, who runs JASA, J-A-S-A, which is at um, the West Side Institutional Synagogue, where they must have 100 people eating lunch, they told me I'm a senior citizen. So I said, fellow senior citizens, here's the thing. It's better to pay them, make sure they have a place to stay until they reach 120. It's cheaper for the city. It's cheaper for Como, for Como and the new mayor to be. Because when an elderly person falls, they call up Atsala, take them to the ER. Got to get them x-rays in a doctor. Might have to stay a week or two. It costs the city and state much more money than by having a doctor on hand, a nurse on hand, and make sure they have enough money to stay in the place they've been living for a while. They need a guaranteed place to stay until they pass away. It's that simple. Now, as a senior citizen myself, two issues. I must protect the senior citizens, and i got to stop this rent-raising business right away. The other six politicians are talking Narakai. They're talking about. I don't even know what they're talking about. I had, during the debates, I give it to them. I separate. I said, I am the nun candidate. I am not a professional politician. The entire campaign, I'm paying for my retirement money. They're taking money from the real estate tycoons. They're taking money from the city. I'm not. 
because of that, I'm only indebted to my constituents, and I'm in the same situation as you are. I have an open brain. I listen to anything. When they raised my rent two months ago, I had no one to talk to. I don't want to talk to this. Yeah, I don't want to take a scale brewer. I never took my call. I don't want to neglect uh, the, the purpose of this conversation. Let people know where you're going to be over Shabbos and Labor Day weekend so they can hear you live and in person. Um, okay. This Shabbos, I'll be at my favorite show, the WSIS at 120 West 76. Then I'm jumping over to Ohev Shalom at West 84th between Broadway and West End. Uh, the rabbi there, his father-in-law, uh, Freifeld, was a uh, Chaim Berlin boy. I want everyone to know, I got smicha from Harav Hartner and Chaim Berlin. So don't let the ponytail fool you. Then I want to go back to Kitsetze. Remember a couple of weeks ago? Don't put a block, a stumbling block, in front of a blind person. What does that mean? That doesn't mean much, right? That's kind of obvious. Don't fool someone you're smarter than. It also says... If Hashem gives you a matana, like Hashem gave you, with a big mouthpiece, able to do radio and TV, and call out to millions of Jews, that Nachum, if you don't use it, that's the sentence, is both a blessing and a curse. Any Jew out there who's smart in business, and smart in family relationships, smart in anything, does not use his matana to help fellow Jews, then chas v'shalom, you might get the curse. And you're ready to help. Asking that particular possible. Are you aware of that? And you are ready to help. No. I have a, I have a gift. I have a big pisk. I got a big mouth. Okay? What could I do? Help my fellow Jew. Help my sister and brother Jew. I just came from the 20th precinct, you know, in the uh, Upper West Side, the 2-0, where the head cops are uh, Irish and Italian. And they say, look, Bronstein, you're a yid. There's 170,000 years in your area, 30 shuls in your district. I can't believe the Jews aren't going to vote for you. Man, if I was a Jew, I'd vote for you. I'm voting for you anyway, even though I'm not a Jew. We have to help our own. That's Aaron Bronstein, always been a friend to the Jewish community, not taking money. Aaron Bronstein is running in the 6th City Council District in New York, Upper West Side. He'll be at O.F. Shalom tomorrow and, of course, the West Side Institutional Synagogue. You can check out his uh, agenda online. Just uh, search Aaron Bronstein. And um, everybody out there who's in uh, that area, you'll be, uh, you'll be, um, uh, I guess, uh, what's the word? You'll, you'll be interested to know that uh, there is a publication that actually predicted Aaron's going to win. Tell everybody about what happened this week when you discovered that a publication in New York City called for your victory. New York Post, New York Daily News, New York Observer. What's a New York Observer? That's always been a very political newspaper, like an intellectual one. About five years ago, Donald Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, a KJ, a Rabbi Lookstein boy, bought it, and uh, he got married to Trump's daughter, who uh, was converted by Rabbi Lookstein in a very orthodox ceremony, not an Irishkeit, where both of them go to shul three times a day and take the religion quite seriously. He owns that paper, the New York Observer, and in fact hire a lot of his Ramaz, 
um, schoolmates to be the journalists there. So there's no hanky-panky going on there. They said, they said, if winner, Aaron Bronstein, 6th District. Now, why would these powerful people say that? For what reason? So they're predicting your victory, you're saying. Right, right away. Victory, Bronstein, 6th District. Tell everybody uh, who wants to volunteer and help in your campaign how they could do so. Really simple, okay? Just vote for me September 10th. I'm running on the Democratic ballot. Don't get angry. Democratic ballot, council person, 6th district. Now, I have a mathematic question for all your listeners. Aaron, we got to go. Tell everybody how they can help out if they want to help out in your campaign. We're running. There's possibly 20,000 votes. How many votes do you need to win? Aaron, we got to run. Tell everybody how to help if they want to help in your campaign. Please just punch in Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, Bronstein, B-R-A-U-N, S-T-E-I-N, my telephone, 646-386-7152, my Facebook, Vote Bronstein, okay, I have like over 20,000 Facebooks from young people. We wish you a wonderful Shabbos, Aaron Bronstein, tomorrow at Westside Institutional Synagogue, Endo of Shalom on the West Side on the 10th. Of September, he runs in the New York City 6th Council District in the Democratic primary. Candlelighting at 714 on this Friday, Erev Shabbos. Two partios tomorrow. Nitzavim and Vayelach. Malcolm Holmline. Discussion about Syria and uh, all the uh, items uh, uh, to discuss from this past week's news. Coming up in what we call the final weekly update of the year. 740 this morning. Keep it right here at JM in the AM.
a.m. in the a.m. Leif Tahar with Imesh Kachech. Before that, Shlomo Katz, Hine Anochi, off of the CD V'Hakonim. Baruch Levine's Hanashamalach, Yidol's Hanashamalach. Of course, words from the Slichus service, which the Ashkenazi community will uh, jump into this coming Sunday morning. Or late Saturday night, however you want to view it. Erev Shabbos Parshas Nitzavim and Vayelach. We have a double Parsha coming up with candlelighting at 714 on this Erev Shabbos, 714. Final weekly update of the year, so we will ask Malcolm Holmline for his, <coughs> excuse me, for his end of year message toward the end of our conversation. I'm sure it'll have something to do with uh, the situation in this, um, in this world of ours, and we will uh, discuss that and much more coming up in just a second with our weekly update. A uh, big thank you to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to highly recommend to their hundreds of thousands of readers our live stream for audio content, both music and, of course, all the other great material, including uh, yesterday's intriguing conversation with Elliot Spitzer, which uh, many people seem to be talking about. Anyway, uh, JewishWorldView.com, if you want a resource for amazing articles and great analysis and commentary about what's happening in this world, Go there. Uh, their editor and editorial staff put together an amazing array every single day. Also, Malcolm joins me in wishing a Mazel Tov to Rabbi Yudin. Uh, Rabbi Yudin has uh, released a uh, book on the Parsha. Uh, you can imagine how, uh, what type of expertise Rabbi Yudin. You don't have to imagine. You know. You're a listener. You know what kind of expertise Rabbi Yudin has on the. Torah portion of the week, and the brand new book from Mosaica Press is entitled Rabbi Benjamin Yudin on the Parsha, and subtitled Tomorrow We Have the Privilege. Uh, of course, a uh, very well-known phrase that Rabbi Yudin uh, created and has been saying for the last 30-plus years here at JM and the AM. We're about to celebrate our 30th anniversary this coming Wednesday, era of Rosh Hashanah, and our 15th anniversary in this building. We moved this week 15 years ago. And Rabbi Yudin has an even bigger anniversary because he predates me here at WFMU. So all of these uh, incredible Parsha discussions are from the actual audio discussions that he has had on the air over the last three-plus decades. The brand-new book, Rabbi Benjamin Yudin on the Parsha, Tomorrow We Have the Privilege, is the subtitle, Mosaic Press. It's out there already. We wish Rabbi Yudin a Mazel Tov and strongly recommend that everybody buy it. Oh, i I, I got to tell Malcolm to buy it the least he could do after postponing Rabbi Yudin sometimes for minutes at a time on Friday mornings. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update. We're, we're going to fleece you for that 24 bucks after what you do sometimes to Rabbi Yudin postponing his presentation on Friday morning. Well, Chuva is appropriate this time of year, so... I'll buy it in any form it comes. There we go. Just imagine, in this case, all you got to do is, is is take out the money and buy the book. If it was only that easy for every part of the tshuva process, huh? Uh, on this Erev Shabbos, we, uh, we again reiterate it's our final weekly update of the year. And my gosh, it is amazing what is happening in this world of ours. Uh, Malcolm, as I wrote earlier today on Facebook and Twitter, um, the question that everybody wants to know the answer to is, will the United States, its allies... Um, in fact, take action against Syria right now, up to the minute. What are your thoughts? 
Look, I think that uh, uh, while there's a lot of concern regarding the possible ramifications for Israel, if you look objectively at the situation, I don't see that that uh, short of an all-out major attack, uh, which will necessitate some massive response, I don't see Hezbollah attacking Israel and risking the kind of response they know that will come, because this time Israel will not be restricted because Hezbollah is part of the government. They don't have to avoid you know, official military and, and governmental sites, as they had in the last Lebanese war. I think that Hezbollah is drained enough in Syria and has internal problems in Lebanon, knowing that people do not want to see them engaged, do not want to have the retribution, and they don't want to use the resources unless Iran dictates and Iran does call the shots with Hezbollah, despite Nasrallah's uh, bravado. I don't think that Syria would risk the retribution and the response that a, a single chemical weapon crossing the border from any of these, either of these con- uh, countries, will immediately evoke an all-out response, because it's not something any government, and certainly Israel, cannot tolerate. And Assad knows that that's the end of his regime. So I think he will be very careful. It doesn't mean you can't have rogue elements do something, fire uh, an errant uh, missile or or mortar or try to, to uh, incite the area. We have at least 10 of the 90 rebel groups, uh, terrorist organizations uh, in the Golan today. Most of them, uh, some of them native, some of them uh, just having presence there. But, I, again, I don't see mm. them risking on, on this yet. A, a, an all-out war. Right, but the bigger question, which was my opening question, is about U.S. intervention. We see what the Britain's reaction has been and other allies. Will the U.S.? Everyone wants to know if the U.S. is going to make good on what has been a relatively public and, uh, and, and you know, a, a, a public threat this week. You know, one full of bravado, one that I question whether it was a good idea to, to make so public. Is the U.S. going to follow up on it? Right. And it's related to the response about what, what America has to take into account in terms of the decision. I do believe that the president wants to do something. He knows what credibility we have in the Middle East rests on it, and he has to look at what the possible ramifications would be for Israel, for Jordan, for, for what Iran might do. And again, I believe that they will be very careful, certainly in engaging directly. They would more likely engage with Hamas, Hezbollah, and they have little influence in Hamas uh, right now. But the, and Hamas might seek to gain credibility again by heating up the border in Gaza. But America has to look not just at what its immediate interest, but what would be the consequences. And we don't know what Turkey is really advocating. Many people believe they are pushing the United States into action. As you know, they are a leading force against the Assad regime. And what would be the consequence if, let's say, Assad is toppled? I mean, we, we bring these terrorist groups to, many of them terrorist groups to the rebels, to, to power, or do you leave a vacuum in, in, in the current regime? Do they strike out even more? Does the army? So there are a lot of options. If you're the President of the United States and you're sitting with your team in the war room, as they are, hours and hours and hours, and I've talked to some of the people who were there, um, it, it is a difficult decision, especially after the British vote yesterday, which is very consequential. The only country still with us is France. Going alone 
is is not the president's style. He likes to internationalize or multilateralize every decision. So the the president has to look. His credibility is definitely on the line. Right. We've been hurt by what happened in Egypt. We've been hurt by what we haven't done in Syria until now. You draw a red line. You say it. You don't do it. Think of how the Iranians see it then. Do they believe that there will be any red line vis-a-vis them? Or does the message that the West is impotent, the president and the, and the right. United States will not act, even with this kind of a blatant uh, action? Now, the truth is we sh- they want to wait till the report of the U.N. inspectors. We haven't seen yet uh, the report, although the United States, Israel, others uh, have definitely pointed the finger, finger and saying this is... Uh, this was done by the regime. Others have questioned it, but I guess the, the proof is there. We have four destroyers. We have moved other ships into the region, but so has Russia. And so for your, the answer to your question also involves <clears throat> the U.S.-Russian potential confrontation when Russia has moved destroyers and other things. I don't believe Russia wants to allow con- confrontation or risk even a minor confrontation with the United States over this. But their show of power, the fact that they blocked action in the U.N. Security Council, which blocks the, the header that the, the, that the president, the permission of the president would normally want, uh, I think that these are all factors right. that, that so, right now there is no good answer. So I understand that. But in this conversation, you, as you just said, not only is there no, not, not a good answer, but there seems to be no positive for the United States to intervene. If that's the case... Why all this public declaration? Why Hegel? Why Kerry? Why Obama to an extent? Why Why are, is the United States taking this broad stand and really issuing international threats when the likelihood is, based on your analysis, that there's no way they're going to intervene? I don't think he has a choice but to intervene at this point, unless the results of the tests you know, from the U.N. give him some cover, but I don't think that's going to be the case. America has gone too far out on the limb indicating that they have the uh, chatter that they've recorded that they have satellite photos that they they know uh, enough to have drawn the absolute conclusion they didn't leave any wiggle room in the conclusions that they have announced and the president left no wiggle room by, by his declaration about the red line the statements by secretary Kerry. i believe the united states is preparing an action i believe the president is in a very difficult spot and and nobody should take in this, whether you voted for him, you didn't vote for him. Right. For the United States to be uh, diminished means that the, the security of the West, the security of the United States, security of Israel, security of everybody is diminished. The, the gives, it empowers the, the bad, the Und- worst of the bad. Elements. Understood. Agree with all of that. What's the action then? So if he's going to be, if his hand will be forced, then the action will likely be what type of action? Well, every president since 1991 used tomahawks to do, whether it was in Iraq, Afghanistan, Yemen, Libya, because, you know, it's a sort of sterile way without having to put boots on the ground. I do not think that the president will put American troops in Syria. Uh, there might be overflights. One of the options that they had was to take out the Syrian army, which would have been a permanent no-fly zone. Uh, that would have aroused uh, Russian and other objections, but I think they could have carried out quickly and it would have been over with because there's only maybe a hundred planes that they have operational. By now, they've, they have, you know, sent the planes everywhere. Most of the military, there's not a single military target in Damascus where the people are still working. You know, the, the, the uh, government and military targets have been abandoned. They've moved equipment. Uh, the, the chemical weapons are dispersed 
around the country. So a targeted strike to remove Assad, I don't think that they will do. I they do think uh, hitting the infrastructure, command and control, um, some punishing act that doesn't bring us to the brink of a fallout war. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Malcolm Honeline is with us. The weekly update Fridays at 7.40 Eastern Time. Keep in mind the next weekly update, the first one of the brand new year, two weeks from today on Erev Yom Kippur. And then we don't get into a regular schedule until after the holiday of Sukkot. Assuming the world is still standing, and I will ask Malcolm if it will be in a moment, on Tuesday, October the 15th, the Conference of Presidents has their gala dinners celebrating five decades of leadership and achievement that they've made to the community. The dinner scheduled for Tuesday night, October the 15th at the Waldorf Astoria. All of our listeners are invited to make a reservation. All of the leaders of the last 20 years will be recognized, as will Malcolm as well. Information, 212-318-6111, 212-318-6111, or gala2013 at conferenceofpresidents.org. Gala2013 at conferenceofpresidents.org. Dot org. Malcolm, do you think on the 15th of October, in fact, the world will still be standing? <laughs> the world will be standing. It might be shaking on its axis a little bit, but I, I do think that the world will be standing. And, and that's why I started off. First of all, the big question everybody asks me is about Israel's security. Right. So that's why I wanted to say that I do not panic. I don't think, I think the likelihood of, of a, a major attack against Israel is very, very limited. Maybe some errant action, some minimal uh, attempts, but Israel's prepared for it. You know, people have said there's, they haven't seen a big buildup of tanks. You know, we, I'm sure you many times saw all the tanks moving up north whenever right. there's a crisis. Right. Israel has missiles there. They have the Tammuz missile. They have other capacity. They don't need heavy armor in order to do uh, what they have to do. But we've read about reserve call-up and, and things like they're that. They're small. They're not, they're ah. not major reserve call-up. It's a message. By the way, it's an internal message, but it's also external the uh, gas distribution, right. gas, uh, mask. gas mask distribution has become a major focus in their fights, their panic. Uh, and I think that the government has to do more to calm people down because, again, you have to prepare, you have to do everything, get people uh, to be aware. And, and by the way, here too, and I participated in events at the New York State uh, uh, Department of Housing, of uh, Homeland Security under Jerry Hauer, and the NYPD had a briefing on, on uh, the, the Thursday, Wednesday. Tuesday, which I spoke, but which addressed some of these concerns. And, uh, I mean, nobody's taking it lightly, so we have to think about the consequences here. People should be on higher alert, not because there's any evidence or any report yet of a, of a threat, but when Khomeini and his cohorts say we're going to burn Jews everywhere, Israel's going to be destroyed, you got to listen to it right. and take it seriously, but not to panic. And I don't, again, I don't think anybody who has a trip to Israel plan we should cancel it. I think people should should go ahead with life as, as usual, just with higher degree of alert. Take the necessary precautions. Go to the websites that describe what Jewish synagogues and security institutions should take uh, places. But if you look yesterday, by the way, uh, I think almost 170 members of Congress have told the president they wanted it cleared with them first, that Pelosi and Boehner and everybody else. So even domestically, there is not support for an oil attack. By the way, 86% of Israelis, I think, 
don't want Israel to get involved in Syria either. Right. There's just not a stomach for it. And when you're facing kind of terrorist groups and, and these outrageous and extremist elements in Muslim Brotherhood, etc., in Iran, they got to know that we're resolute. They can't see the weakness if, if, and, and not draw the conclusion that they can get away with it. And, and I know that I'm overstating the obvious, but just back for a second to your point regarding security in synagogues and Jewish institutions, a lot of people don't realize this Wednesday night is Rosh Hashanah. It's sneaking up on everybody. So if there are... Uh, precautions that need to be taken uh, to be taken now is the time because as you've pointed out many times there are too many of our institutions that are ill prepared when the big crowds show up for the high holidays and other occasions it's a very good point and i think this year because it's always you know jewish holidays are never on time they're always too early or too late right. so this year they're too early and people don't realize that you know a day or two after labor day we're, we're going to be in into rosh hashanah for me, Rosh Hashanah is October 15th this year, and the dinner. But <laughs> <laughs> it's Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, Tishabab, everything together. But, uh, uh, but you're absolutely right. This Shabbos is the time for people to make announcements, to, to take the steps necessary. I think if you have people who will stand at the doors, can rotate, to be there to watch who comes in, who goes out, it's really important. Yeah, no question about it. Um, all right, um, the, the, there was a uh, a report this week from the United Nations Atomic Agency about Iranian nuclear activity being increased. Uh, is this? I never know if this is a uh, a significant uh, development in the whole Iranian in the acknowledgement of the Iranian nuclear capability. Is this is this a big step that the UN acknowledges it and recognizes it, or this is something that everybody knew already? No, this is important because the inspector's report, uh, which only happens uh, now uh, at most uh, two or three times a year, that we get any additional official updates as opposed to, you know, the general uh, updates um, and assumptions that uh, the report was of great significance in saying that there are thousands of new centrifuges. They believe they talk about the cleaning up of Parchin, which is where they tested the triggers, uh, and in case there's an inspection, they'll be able, they, they, but they've worked on it for years to clean it up, to remove any trace of, of evidence. The ballistic missile base, uh, potential new, new facilities, and yet it got no attention because Syria eclipsed um, Iran, right. Right. Egypt eclipsed Syria. Now we're back to Syria eclipsing Egypt. And, and Iran, and it's, it is really horrific because the report is very clear, and the the conclusions are, are very clear. But, you know, we cannot, unfortunately, despite all the capacity, all the technology, it seems we can't face two fronts at one time. And now when the attention gets focused on Syria, even Egypt is lost in the, in the shuffle, and it looks like there's more stability there, etc. But... Uh, uh, this report was very important. And Iran did say that if the U.S. or Israel uh, does do anything regarding Syria, they're ready to attack Israel immediately. Why do you, th what, why do you think Cameron uh, lost the vote yesterday? Look, from what, uh, again, we'll know more as the, uh, uh, as the assessments come in. But number one, I think what the message from the opposition wasn't really to defeat the total possibility, but it was because they felt he was rushing in without enough information, and they were saying, give us time, you know, get us more data, which is what we're hearing from Congress as well. Right. And, and it raises questions. What happens if you know 
that there's a smoking gun or, or that there's a, a launching pad and something's going to happen, and everybody's going to say, well, we need to see the proof, we need to see the rocket fly, we need to see it bomb, we need to see the deaths, we need to see the blood. I mean, governments have to have the capacity sometimes to, to act immediately mm-hmm. and not go through all the general rigmarole. I mean, democracy demands that there are rules and, the, and accountability, but, you know, we're living in an age where things can change on the dime. So I think the opposition, A, he didn't do the proper homework, he didn't prepare uh, vote. I think it, he assumed he would get uh, the vote and didn't listen to some of the warnings that I know w- were sounded about it. And frankly, there's just no stomach anywhere. Uh, Germany, you see, is not stepping to plate. The Nobody wants in. There is France. Nobody wants in. It's as simple as that. Nobody. I mean, wants you, you feel. But, but, but look what they do to the cops. Look what they do to their fellow Christians. And where's the response? They don't care about anything. This is such a dangerous situation that there's apathy, the indifference. I mean, if you want to know what we learned from Rosh Hashanah, that that's the enemy. And here we see it. We see it become dominant. And the, the indifference, even sometimes in our communities, to the dangers you just talked about domestically, and everybody goes ho-hum and, and moves on. You know, all the things that we have warned about, the Sinai, this week they say 10,000 terrorists. How many months and months and months have we talked about it? And you see the, the, the lack of reaction to, to this. You see Putin and Rouhani, the new president of Iran, meeting to coordinate on Syria. How long do we talk about Russia filling the gap, taking advantage of it? And the failure to, to get these signals, the failure to anticipate, does, does, does the government, uh, the, the parliament of Great Britain really believe they'll be immune? They have hundreds of guys sitting in Syria today fighting who are coming back as jihadists. Um. Great Britain, as we mentioned, the U.S., they've made their position on all this very clear. Has the U.N. uh, done anything significant this week in reaction to what... uh, Say it again? They can't. Because there's no official meeting? No, because the Russians and Chinese... Oh, right. They're permanent members. Nothing. It's crippled. It's irrelevant. Uh, I, I saw that the uh, that the special envoy for Syria, Rahimi, said that uh, in Geneva that if the United States doesn't have UN approval, then whatever they're doing is illegal and and under international law. Well, on the one hand, you can't get a UN action because you got Russia and China saying we're not going to allow anything, and uh, and on the other hand, does the United States really get hampered by uh, by you know recalcitrant United Nations and then be charged with? War crimes and all sorts of other, um, you know, charges. Uh, I, I don't know what kind of massacre. I don't know what it takes to to get the international community. And you see, it's not Jews this time. It's not Israel. Thank God, Israel stayed out of it. But you also see this tiredness. Even Khamenei this week made a statement where he said, "Enough is enough," and he wants the return of his twelve thousand IRGC Iran Revolutionary Guards uh, troops in Syria. First of all, the acknowledgement that he has twelve thousand guys there, but that, that he made that statement seemed so out of character, but maybe it reflects the fact that, uh, you know, even they get tired of it. Yeah. So one thing we learned from this U.N. experience is that uh, the Chinese and Russians certainly have uh, Syria's back much more than they ever had Iran's back in the uh, in the body of the U.N. No, they blocked many sanctions and watered them down and took other actions and continued to trade and to buy uh, oil and even if they're subject to um, some of the sanctions they find ways you know to to work within the system or around the system to uh, to get away with it so russia and china are out there but you see the russians are, are 
are playing a much more duplicitous game than the Chinese, I think. Chinese do everything to protect their interests, i.e. oil and trade. The Russians here are trying to stick it to the U.S. The Russians, you know, have been meeting with the Egyptians. The Russians are meeting with the, the Saudis, and as I mentioned with Rouhani of Iran. They are trying to fill the void that the United States has left, uh, that the West has left. And they, they move their ships in, and the message is, we stand by our friends. If West does not, they abandon their friends, sometimes work against their friends. We stand with them. And it is, it has enabled them to come back, and he wants to be a world player. Look, Russia is not a superpower today. It is power, but not a superpower. But he's able to project this. It's very shrewd. He's, he's using the limited abilities that they have to, to the fullest to be at least at center stage in all of this and sending a message to the region. You don't like that I backed Assad? I get it. But just look how loyal we are. What has the PA said about all this in terms of intervention in Syria? Well, the PA, as you know, is, is, uh, uh, has been opposed to, to the Syrian regime now, Assad, and, um, that they, and that they've been concerned about the treatment of the Palestinians living in, in Syria who have been caught in the crossfires, and many of them, by the way, have left. And it's another issue we didn't, don't even talk about that the million or so or more refugees who have who have uh, who have left and who are now hundred six hundred thousand in in, in uh, Jordan uh, and in Lebanon you have more in Egypt and Turkey everywhere which also will have could have a longer term uh, impact. So the PA this week has been busy uh, continuing its incitement, continuing some of their. Uh, Irrational behavior that that we saw, and, and that's not that's putting aside the Gaza Sinai stuff, which was really explosive this week. The PA has been marginalized. The 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 um, Abbas is planning a trip to the United States now to come next month, and he is just looking to coast along with this. And that's in conjunction with the UN, uh, yeah, meeting with uh, exactly. Uh, so you mentioned the stuff in uh, Gaza, Egypt. Is it affecting oil prices at all this week? It had, and by the way, they, there was a donors meeting this week for the Palestinians, and they, it was very interesting because I think it was the Norwegian foreign minister who chairs it said that we're not going to bail them out forever and that telling them that they better get the house in, in, in order and that they're not going to sit back. And this is exactly what he said, the comfort of uh, internationally subsidized state building, meaning that they pick up the tab for them. And uh, first time that we've heard this kind of a warning, especially from... You know the the the, uh, the Norwegian. What is that? That's Norwegian money or EU money? No, no, it's the collective donors uh, who who come together. Meaning the EU or beyond that? It, it's the EU, United States, ah. uh, all, all the, so those who supposedly together. contribute. But the fact is that most of them don't even uh, 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 can contribute to to it anymore. That's pretty significant. That is, it, yes, exactly. And the so on, on the oil price. Look, speculation in oil is common. There is not a shortage of oil, but the threat, whether it was earlier with Egypt with about the Suez Canal or now, there's nothing to threaten. Syria's oil represents less than 1% of the world's supply. Um, the likelihood that you'll close the Straits of Hormuz, Iran's not going to do it because they will pay more of a price than everybody else. So uh, I don't think that the, there will be a crisis with oil, but it's sensitive to every international situation of this kind and the price goes up it's still four and a half bucks in lower manhattan a gallon i can't get over to 
Isn't there something you could do about it? Yes. <laughs> uh, Fort Hood terrorist was convicted this week and uh, sentenced, well, convicted, was sentenced to a, uh, uh, to the death penalty, but it's, I assume it's going to be, a, it won't be tomorrow afternoon that that sentence will be carried out, right? No. At first it will be appealed and appealed and it will be, uh, I mean, the likelihood of, of uh, executions, although there they actually do execute a lot of people and, yeah, meaning in Texas. Warranted, uh, if anybody warrants a death penalty, his actions, uh, Certainly seem to do so, but um, it'll be a long time before. But you still can't get anybody in the mainstream media to call him a terrorist. They don't want to call anybody. We use the term militants. They use, and, right. and these words count. We, we sanitize everything. That's why there's never a, a clear line in the sand when you have such evidence and such uh, conclusive evidence of, of an action. It's it, it, the words matter. It just reflects the lack of, de, of of determination and willingness to to take a clear stand. And frankly, if we and the West had taken clearer stands on issues, we wouldn't be in the crisis that we are in today. Do you have any idea how many candidates there are for mayor of Jerusalem? Well, was it three, four hundred? Uh, no, I can't. I, I know one <laughs> dropped out, Lupiansky, and I know that there is uh, Moshe Leon and Barkat, etc. So probably half a dozen. And this takes place when in November? Uh, yeah, yes, the election is in uh, November. All right. Uh, the um, this coming Wednesday night, the brand new year of five seven seven four begins, and there is so much, Malcolm. There is so much on the plate of the Jewish world, if you will. Uh, what would you say as we close out this year and begin the brand new one? That uh, it is true, and and my fear is that people get overwhelmed by all the news and all the crises and stuff. You know, if you look in the parsha now, where it says that you have to choose life, it's not always a rational decision. You know, the Jews who survived the Holocaust seeing what they saw, for them to start families, to rebuild lives, was not necessarily a rational decision. But when do we choose life? We choose life every day, except that we're not conscious of it. We don't think about it. We don't... Uh, um, and many philosophers, Eric Fromm and others, have written about the whole, the whole this one pasuk and about what does it really mean uh, about... Uh, and, and why does it say it in the context of the link between generations that you have to remind young generations what to live for, not what to die for, that the Muslim Brotherhood and all these groups extol death, we extol life. And life imposes responsibilities on us. It means that you can't separate yourself from your community needs, and we have many people in our communities now who are in dire straits. There, there have been you know, some cutoff of funds, the air post Sandy, post everything that the demands of, of people who, whose uh, personal conditions uh, really warrant people stepping to the plate, that we have to look at the conditions in the world, not to become frozen and paralyzed by it, but to be inspired and to see the messages. And the Torah gives us ec- explanations, and he says, look, it, this is all, it's not over the sea, it's not uh, unreachable for you that every person then has to decide what is it that they do to fulfill that you, your children and grandchildren and all generations because what we do determines their lives and determines the quality of their lives and I don't think the discussion today and what we've been discussing over recent weeks and the condition of the world as we see it should be such a blatant reminder of that and this is what prepares us as we go into Rosh Hashanah to know what to daven for and how we daven and 
and and how we look at our own role in this context. It seems that every you look, we're we're speaking on an almost weekly basis for the last twelve years, and speaking regularly for over twenty years. And it seems that this time of year, there always seems to be a tension, an uncertainty, even more than at other times during the calendar. Do you agree with that, or is it just a psychological thing because the brand new year is about to begin? Well, maybe it's because we're more aware and, and uh, at the end of the summer you have more time to think about things. <laughs> but but uh, I don't know that it's really more intense. We, we do it on a regular basis. Uh, in part, I think this is God's gift to the rabbis so they have enough of their sermons to speak about. <laughs> but but right at this time, the rabbis have no shortage right. uh, for, for sermons. For they could, uh, and I recommend that they all do it at morning, night, speak all the time. Uh, but the the situation that we find ourselves in right now is a culmination. It's a cumulative result. It's not something that just happened this week, which is why we put so much emphasis in an oil dominating. We, we look at the historical context. We look back because that's the way you can look forward and and taking stock. So maybe you're right that uh, you know things tend to get heated up at this time of the year, but. I'm afraid that this is going to be a year-round endeavor. Right, and life is, of course, a very big theme this time of year, so the uh, the message hits home even harder, no question about that. Um, those who want to spend Rosh Hashanah with Mr. Malcolm Honline, where would they have to travel to? Woodcliffe Lakes, New Jersey. Interesting. And uh, we'll have a couple of sessions. We'll be talking about some of the issues. Other people will be there, too to speak and uh, so those who haven't yet uh, decided I assume there's space I don't even know but it's a very popular program so you'll be delivering the Shabbat Shuvah uh, right and by then the whole world will have changed again yeah that's for sure it'll be all new all the time look what happened just over the past week and it's part that's part of the answer to the question you asked before about the the speed with which things change that there there are so many fronts you know uh, I, I was giving a briefing for some officials and and i said it's not just that the issues it, it, it's it, it's is the world so different it's that we used to have one at a time right if we had egypt that would be a big issue because it has ramifications for all of north africa for the gulf it's the number one country if we had syria alone if we had syria and egypt alone without the iranian thing the iran alone would be enough and the second thing is that because of the interrelationship of everything today that everything becomes so much more complex that you have to look at every ramification around the world. You can't look at the Iranian crisis without knowing about their presence in South America, their ability with sleeper cells in the United States, the the infrastructure that exists here for them to be able to strike that. Everything means that we have to look at all the ramifications uh, of every issue. And the uh, you know you see them again blaming the Zionist regime for everything that. Uh, that is going on. We see that the nature of the language doesn't change. The the uh, growth of the delegitimization uh, movement, and again, we had uh, what's his name, the guy from Pink Floyd Waters, and other cultural figures declaring boycotts and and trying to prevent people from uh, going to Israel on a cultural basis, and it's nothing to do with military, nothing to do with security or even politics. Uh, that it, that that continues to to spread at this time. And, and as I said, we didn't even get into the, the, the things that are happening in the Sinai over the last weeks and the, some of the showdowns, some of the attacks and the groups that are 
are operating and for the first time some people in the international community are even beginning to pay attention to it not doing anything about it but uh, uh, paying attention to it unbelievable there is so much going on you're not really giving the Shabbat Shuvah drush are you? I am not giving it. <laughs> so, although, if these, if you did this for 45 minutes on the third day of the new year, it might, it might spur some people to do some tshuva, let me tell you. Because... I have a hard enough time listening to it to be able to deliver it. You know. uh, well, we take this opportunity to wish you a happy, healthy, and sweet new year. And it should be a peaceful year for everybody, Malcolm. With all of this, with all the things you discuss, you still believe that there's hope for peace and tranquility for both the Jewish world and the world at large. I do believe it, but I believe it depends on our vigilance, our commitment, our tefillos, our uh, our mental state. If you look overall, I think Israel ends the year stronger than it began the year because of the you know elimination or or the diminution of many of those who would, who would threaten it. It's it's far from a slam dunk. It doesn't mean that Israel doesn't face very serious uh, issues. We're seeing the map redrawn in the Middle East. We see us go back to World War One period with Sykes-Picot. We're seeing the breakdown of, of old borders. And no one knows what the outcome of this will be, what the reshuffling of, of countries like Syria or, or Libya or Yemen or others that are, are not even paid attention to today, although a lot of things are, are, are happening in those, the, in those countries. Right. So this is a, a really period of, of radical change. And... As I said many times, uh, if you remember that the, you know, the, the promise of the 21st century for new world order is yielding old world disorder that looks more like the 19th century than what the 21st century was. Oh, well said, well said. All right, uh, Shana Tova, two weeks from today, we'll reconvene on Erev Yom Kippur. to everybody. If they want to find out about reservations for the dinner, they can call the conference office at 212-318-6111. Hopefully, by the time we convene again, we'll be sold out and we won't have to... <laughs> and if they want last-minute information for schools, schools, and other major institutions that will be opening their buildings for the high holidays, they can go to which website? Well, they can go to the SCAN, U.S., S-C-N, S-C-N, which stands for Secure Community Network, U.S.org. Uh, I know the JCRC has a, a, a website for it. Also, I guess it's jcrc.org. Uh, the NYPD has material that they have uh, put up, Department of Homeland Security of New York State also. Uh, there are very good manuals. There are recommendations of steps that you take. And it's very important that people be trained because if something happens, people don't have the time to think. They have to be go into automatic mode, right. which is why we saw in Connecticut that lives were saved because teachers had been prepared. Right. It's very important. And people don't think that they're sure what, what you can do. You can't prevent something from happening if somebody's hell-bent on doing it. You can deter it. You can send them away from yours and hopefully... Enough places will deter them that they won't carry it out. All righty. Have a wonderful Shabbos and Shana Tova. There he is, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos, Parshas Nitzavim and Vayelech. Mazal Tov to Rabbi Yudin. Rabbi Yudin's book is officially out. It has been released. It's a Mosaica Press release. Uh, Rabbi Benjamin Yudin on the Parsha. So many of the amazing and incredible messages that he's delivered on these airwaves uh, during the past 30-plus years are included in Rabbi Benjamin Yudin's brand-new book entitled On the Parsha. 
tomorrow we have the privilege is the very appropriate subtitle. Check it out, everybody. We are highly recommending it. And again, we uh, wish a mazel tov to Rabbi Yudin and his family on this momentous occasion and accomplishment. This time each and every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading the two parashios of Nitzavim and Vayelech. Wow! According to the Chinuch, we've reached the 612th and 613th mitzvah. He follows the counting of his Rebbe, the Rambam. And Mitzvah 6, 12, and 13, both of which are found in Vayelech. Vayelech has the Mitzvah first of Hakel, that on the Yom Tov of Sukkos, following the Shemitah year, you have the gathering of the entire nation that comes to the base of Migdash on Cholamoet Sukkos to hear the king read the Torah, a kind of reenactment of Mamad Har Sinai. And the 613th mitzvah is that of writing a Sefer Torah, or as expanded by the Rush to have a Jewish library, the ability for each and every family to be able to study Torah within their home as well. You have in Parshas Nitzavim such incredible ideas as A, the Torah promises according to the Rambam that in Yitzah Hashem the Jewish people will do tshuva in the future. For if Ticha HaTorah, the Torah promises that this is going to happen. Wow! And this is found in chapter 30. V'hashivosa elevavecha b'chol agoyim v'shavto ad Hashem elokecha. Pinch yourself, because we are, please God, part of this process. You have in Parshas Nitzavim, Kea mitzvah hazos, this mitzvah, which I am commanding you today, is not beyond you, is not far away, is not in the heavens. What mitzvah are we talking about? Rashi says it refers to the mitzvah of Talmud Torah, the ability of each and every Jew, and especially today, to study Torah. And the Ramban understands it to mean the mitzvah of tshuva, of repentance, that really there is, well, there might be some excuses, but certainly today we live in a day and age where it's so much easier to do tshuva. I'd like to focus, however, on literally the opening verses of Parshas Nitzavim. Moshe is speaking to the Jewish people right before his passing. And what does he say? You are all standing today. What is the Hayom? Which day are we speaking about? We're speaking of the day right before his passing that Moshe is entering 
the Jewish nation into a covenant. And the rabbis tell us in the Gemara Sanhedrin that this covenant is the bris of Arvus, that we are all responsible one for another. At Sinai, when we received the Torah, we each became responsible for ourselves. Now when we're about to enter Eretz Yisrael, and when we so do, then we are responsible not only for ourselves, but for each other as well. Now, the Torah goes on to say, Kulchem, literally, who is this, all of you? And then the Torah goes on to delineate, Roshechem, the heads of Shivtechem, of your tribes, Siknechem, your elders, Shotrechem, your offices, Kol Ish Yisrael, all the men of Israel. And then we go on, Tapchem, even the children, the Shechem, literally your wives, and the Gercha, even the proselyte. So if everybody is being delineated, what and why does the Torah use the word Kulchem? Literally, all of you. Let the Torah say, You are all standing without that word Kulchem. And who is the Kulchem? Who is the all of you? Rashechem, Shivtechem, etc. So therefore, I'd like to share with you the following. We know that there are many different layers and levels of understanding in the Torah. The Zohar understands this verse of Atem Nitzavim Hayom Kulchem. You are all standing today to refer not only to the day that Moshe is entering the Jewish nation in the historical past, but rather Hayom refers to the day of Rosh Hashanah. And Kulchem, all Israel, is gathered, all Israel is judged on Rosh Hashanah. And, says the altar of Kelm, listen carefully, the Torah is teaching us something very, very significant for each and every individual. The Torah he cites at the beginning of the laws of Rosh Hashanah points out in the name of Rabbi Hanina and Rabbi Yoshua Eze Uma Ke'umazu look how different the Jewish nation is Sheyoda'as for it knows Ophia Shel Elokeha it knows the workings of its God namely the nature of man and the nature of the world is such that if a person has judgment in a court of law and especially if he's on trial for his life he's going to lovesh shchorim he's going to literally dress in black and he's going to not care of how his personal grooming is. He'll allow his face to go unshaven. He's not going to take a haircut. Why? Because he literally does not know what's the outcome of his judgment. Avo Yisrael. But the Jewish nation ain't okay. They're not that way. Lofshin Levanim. We wear white and we take haircuts and literally we bathe before the Yom Tov. And we eat and drink on Yom Tov. Of course we know Shakurish Baruch Hu because we know that literally God is going to do a miracle for them. Asks the altar, 
wait a second, we know that God is going to do a miracle for them? How could any one individual be so sure? So he answers very powerfully that each and every individual most certainly has to be concerned going into Rosh Hashanah. As the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, Daf Tes Zion Amid Beis teaches in the name of Rav Krispadai that there are Shlosha Svarim Niftachim. There are literally three books that are opened on Rosh Hashanah. One of the Rishaim of the wicked, one of the Tzadikim of the righteous, and one of the Benanim, and one of those who are literally intermediate in between. A little of this, a little of that. And the Talmud goes on to tell us that the righteous are immediately inscribed for good, and the Rishaim are immediately inscribed for the antithesis of good. And the Benonim, the intermediate ones, they are Tuluyim, the Umdim, they held in abeyance from Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippur. So where is there room for optimism? Says the altar of Kelm. This is only true. The Shloshes for him if him is true regarding each and every individual. But as far as the Tzibur, as far as the congregation, as far as the community of Israel, as far as the nation of Israel, they can be confident, they can be sure that what? That God will perform for them a miracle and Netzach Yisrael lo yishakir. The community of Israel will never be forsaken, will always survive. And therefore, suggests the altar, what should each and every one of us do as we go into Rosh Hashanah? We should try to attach ourselves as much as possible to the cloud, to the community, to the nation, to become a cloud mensch. Because whatever you can do for the cloud, for the community, when you are mishamish the cloud, when you serve the cloud, and there are so many different ways that each person on their own, in accordance with their character and capabilities, can serve the community, they will then be the beneficiaries, the schus, the merits of the klal. If you do for the klal, you will have then the schus of the klal. And then you can be confident that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to do that nace for the klal. And so, a person that is endowed with resources, he can support the klal. And there's so many different aspects of the klal, of the community that needs support. The yeshivos, the hospitals, the old age homes, the kolalim, there's so many different aspects that need our support. If a person is knowledgeable, he can teach others, have chavu, 
Prusas and go and seek out and find. Go to the local schools and say, look here, I'm looking to volunteer an hour a week for your week of students. Give me those students that have come from Eretz Yisrael and therefore need to learn how to speak English. Give me those students that have come from the former Soviet Union and learn to catch up on their basics. Whatever you have with all your capabilities, you're an accountant, assist the local mostos in terms of their bookkeeping. Each person in their own way. If you have not yet thought of joining a Hebrew Kedisha, look how significant this could be. And if you're not ready to go for the Tara, good, you can do Shmira. And you can help set up a Shiva home. And find your particular niche and run with it. Actualize it. Because you can even seriously make people feel welcome in the shul. That's doing so much for the cloud, expanding the cloud. Visit a shut-in in the community, giving them a sense of cloud, that they are not forsaken, that they are a part of the cloud. Now this concept in terms of cloud is one that is even codified in terms of the halacha. The Gemara in Avodah Zarah, Davdalit Amidbeis, teaches in the name of Rav Yosef that on Rosh Hashanah, a person should not daven. If they can't come to shul, they shouldn't daven musaf within the first three hours of the day. Why not? And this is if they're doing a biachidus in private, without a congregation, without a tzibor. Why? Because during the first three hours, Hashem sits in judgment, and Hashem might scrutinize their actions a bit more carefully, and as a result, reject his prayers. So the Gemara asks, Iachi tzibor nami? If so, then the congregation as well, should they have to daven early, they too should be limited and should not daven during the first three hours and the Gemara answers, no the tzibur nefisha zechusei because the tzibur the congregation, the community the nation, they possess many merits there is this incredible metaphysical concept of tzibur and their prayer will not be rejected. This is codified in Shulchan Aruch, in Simon, Tovkov Tzadi Aleph, Sivkat Ches, Lo Yispalel B'Yochid, Tfilas Musa Perosh Hashanah, Ad Achar Gimel Shaos. And the Mishnah Brewer adds that if one cannot come to shul on Rosh Hashanah, they should certainly hear the shofar at home. But once again, they should not hear the shofar during the first three hours of the day on Rosh Hashanah. You've got to attach yourself to the seaboard. And this is such a powerful, practical lesson that we go in. And let's conclude with Ashkenazic community begins the recitation of Slichos this and even slichos, it is so much more beneficial when it is recited with a seaboard, with the community, as a result of which we can say that there's a special kapara, there's a special slicha, which is given to the community and not just 
individuals. So just as when it comes to tefillah, when I daven my silent Shmona Esrei, with nine or more within the Beis HaKnesses, it's a different kind of tefillah. Even though each one is praying it by themselves, it's tefillah, bitzibur. The same is true with our slichos, that we will be beginning, please God, this Motzoi Shabbos. I take this opportunity of wishing everybody the incredible Hatzlocha, the incredible Sayato Dishmaya, that you, each one, in your own way, become part of the Kulchem, thereby ensuring for yourselves a better, Emirz Hashem, more productive year in the forthcoming one. Shabbat Shalom to all.
J.M. and the A.M., the great Nebshulma Kalbach, words from Slichus. Before that, our Elul Shofar blowing here at J.M. and the A.M. Mazal Tov again, Trabayudin, and the brand new book regarding the Torah portion of the week. It's a Mosaic Press release, and uh, we wish Trabayudin Mazal Tov. Trabayudin uh, on the Parsha, but subtitled, Tomorrow We Have the Privilege. Candle lighting at 714 on the Sarah of Shabbos, Parshas, Nitzavim, and Vayelech. It is the final Shabbos of the year. Wishing everybody a happy, healthy, and sweet New Year. Short week for us next week, culminating in Erev Rosh Hashanah on Wednesday. I take this opportunity to remind everybody that Monday, Labor Day, is a live music alert day. Eitan Katz, that's right, Eitan Katz, is visiting us on Labor Day. I strongly suggest that everybody tune in. There's nothing like a live music performance with Eitan Katz in our studio, and the live music alert Monday will take place this Labor Day, this coming Monday, right here at JM in the AM. Matis is preparing a great JM Sunday for Sunday morning at 7 a.m., the final one of the year. That's right, final one of the year. Avrami hosts Saturday Night Siegel tomorrow night on our stream starting at 10 p.m. with an amazing array of Slichos selections to get everybody ready for Slichos, which will be cool. Uh, our Erev Shabbos music mix will go all day long. There is no better way to prepare for Shabbos than with our Erev Shabbos music mix in the background, where you work, where you live, where you're traveling to, whatever the case may be. Have our stream on all day. And just minutes from now, 11 minutes from now, a fresh edition of Table for Two with Naomi Nachman. The chef herself speaks with Shifra Klein, editor-in-chief of Joy of Kosher, discussing the latest edition, of course, menus for Rosh Hashanah. And cookbook author Reina Simnagar, I hope I have that pronounced properly, shares her journey to Yiddishkeit and how she learned to cook Persian food and develop her book, Persian Food for the Non-Persian Bride. Those are Naomi's guests coming up between 9 and 10 this morning Eastern Time right after JM and the AM on our stream at jmandtheam.org. She always does a great show. We highly recommend it. More coming up at JM and the AM. This is from Regesh, Volume 3, Songs of Shabbos.
J.M. and the A.M. Six minutes before nine o'clock. Regish in volume number three with Rachem Altzio. And by the way, we had an amazing day on the stream yesterday at jmtheam.org. Uh, great programming, a lot of wonderful stuff, including Miriam L. Wallach speaking to Moshe Hecht, who performed live in studio. Some unbelievable selections. If you missed any of it, obviously, go. You can go to our app. If you go to the uh, NSN app, uh, we've got all the. Uh, programming including JMAM on it and you'll be able to access the uh, live music with Moshe Hecht that was done on That's Life yesterday with Miriam L. Wallach it was really really some amazing stuff don't forget speaking of live music Eitan Katz is coming here on Labor Day we're making him labor on Labor Day Eitan Katz with a live music performance in studio this coming Labor Day morning this coming Monday right here at JM in the AM should be a lot of fun make sure to be tuned in and join us a short week, so we'll be here Labor Day and treated like any other day right here at JM and the AM. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM and the AM.
My brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Round the world on the web, jmtheam.org. And that will wrap up an amazing week for us here at JM and the AM. And essentially wraps up the summer for us because uh, Rosh Hashanah is Wednesday night. We are here Monday on Labor Day as if it's any other day. Eitan Katz, in fact, makes it an extra special day. He'll be here for a big live music alert Monday uh, coming up uh, starting at 6 a.m. Monday morning. So join us for that. Naomi Nachman next on the stream with an amazing edition of Table for Two. Erev Shabbos music mix will go all day long. Make sure you're tuned in. At jmnam.org. Tomorrow night, Avrami with Saturday Night Seagull. Matis with JM Sunday for the final time in 5773. Join him Sunday morning at 7 o'clock. Have a fabulous Shabbos. Great weekend, everybody. Until Monday, Nachum Seagull reminding you, remember to past, live the present, and trust the future.